0: Welcome to Crossroads of Culture and Christianity. I am your host, Jacob Jellison, joined as always by my co host, Aaron Hof. Today, we have a special treat for you. I am joined in studio by Reverend Kevin Lloyd. Brother Lloyd, for many of you that may not know, has uh, worked roughly uh, in the ministry for about 37 years. Uh, He's a graduate from Free Gospel Bible Institute. He graduated in 1990. And after that, he went to work with Brother Bill Finley, who we've had on this podcast before. He worked with him for roughly about five years. Um, After that, he evangelized for about 14 years. And for the last 17 years, he's been a pastor. Eight of those 17 years, he's been in Bond, Kentucky. And we are joined by him now. Thank you so much for coming on, Brother Lloyd.
1: Oh, I count it an honor. Thank you, Brother Jellison.
0: So um, today we decided to to talk. He's here at Free Gospel Bible Institute teaching uh, the course on pneumatology. And for the last roughly six years... He has been teaching that as an adjunct professor, and so for many of you that may not know, the word pneumatology is just a fancy word uh, speaking of the study of the Holy Ghost, and so we decided while he was here to pull him aside, and we're going to talk about that today. We're going to narrow in on a specific aspect of the study of the Holy Ghost, more specifically the gifts of the Spirit and how they operate. That's definitely a topic that I think is important, and uh, we hope that maybe through this your heart will grow hungry to be used in those gifts. Uh, But that's what we're going to dive into for just a few minutes today.
2: So the first question we were going to ask you, Brother Lloyd, was the idea that if somebody, an individual, wants to be used in the gifts of the Spirit, any kind of advice you have for them on on a personal level. But then also, I want to expand this discussion. Uh, Some of our listener base, some of the listeners are Pastors and young pastors, some of them who have stepped into positions very recently, and from a one who's pastored for several years, uh, what kind of advice would you give to young pastors who want to see uh, the whole the liberty for the Spirit of God to move in their congregations and want to see? Not only themselves used, but but people in their congregation used by the Spirit of God. Any kind of advice you have for someone in Christian leadership as
1: well? well, the the one thing that I would key off uh, from the beginning of your question was you're you're talking about somebody who wants to see the gifts operating. And you know, candidly, I think that is probably. The greatest driving force, obviously, you know, the gifts are the manifestation of the Spirit. But the thing that we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, at at the end of Paul's discussion of those gifts, in the last verse of that chapter, he says, covet earnestly the best gifts. And I think that is... Perhaps the greatest thing is you've got to have a desire for it. Yeah. As, as I've preached through the years for people to get the Holy Ghost, that, that, that's one of the big things is they've got to have a desire, a hunger for the Holy yeah. Ghost. I think faith plays in there. But, you know, a young pastor that really deeply has that desire, he's going to seek the Lord and make himself available and, and I would speak specifically to a young pastor or even a youth pastor that they need to be responsible enough to, to kind of be a leader in that area. I think sometimes we inspire people not by what we tell them, but by what we show That's them. That's good. Yeah. So – as we talk about the gifts of the spirit brother Lloyd now
0: this is a this might be a little bit more of a technical question but I think it has some practical implications as well when we talk about the gifts of the spirit would you say biblically speaking that the gifts of the spirit is something that is given by God to someone and then they possess it from that point almost as if they can use it on demand or would you say that it's something that is more so distributed by
1: God as uh, a situation arises that might merit that gift. I think the Bible speaks very plainly to that point. Okay. And the verse that I emphasize when I go into the, the lecture, and in fact, we do a workshop on the gifts of the spirit. The verse that I emphasize is first Corinthians 12, seven. He said, but the manifestation of the spirit I pause there. Yeah. Because that is, is the driving force. Mm-hmm. All of these gifts are a manifestation of the spirit. Okay. Now he says the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And as we read through the text for to one is given a word of wisdom to another, the word of knowledge to another, and I'm, I'm not quoting them necessarily in order, sure. the gift of faith. I think sometimes we look at that language and then we look at certain experiences and we think, well, this man has this gift and this man has this gift. And that terminology is not necessarily wrong, but it is the Holy Ghost that possesses these gifts. Okay. I think honestly, somebody that is filled with the Holy Ghost, and is coveting earnestly the best gifts, has the potential to operate any of the gifts that are necessary at the moment. In fact, that's what the best gift is, Yeah, the one that is needed. But I think sometimes what leads us to think of these gifts as a person possessing them is probably because what happens is, It's as if we have more faith for certain gifts to operate in our life. And those are the ones that we operate more often. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I think there's room for a person to grow and, you know, especially as a pastor, but not necessarily only a pastor. There's room for us as filled with the Holy Ghost and members of the body of Christ to operate in any of these gifts. So I don't think we possess them to operate them at our will. Absolutely not. They operate as the manifestation of the spirit. And if he doesn't manifest, they're not going to operate.
0: Yeah. I, I appreciate that clarification. You you made a, a point that I'm just going to capitalize on for just a minute and then we can move on. But you talked about the, the concept of it's not necessarily just for the, the pastor or the leader necessarily to be used in these gifts, but anybody that's filled with the spirit is able to be used in these gifts. I think that's an important point to make because I think sometimes, and I, I don't want to speak too broadly because this is not always the case, but in a lot of churches that I've seen, it seems like it's, the, the responsibility for those kinds of things is always pushed toward the leadership or the pastor. Correct. It's their job to get the burden for that and to be used in that. And I'm just a church member, so I don't have to, but
1: I think, I think you're right. I think that's an important distinction that needs to be made. I'll make a case in point. And you kind of reminded me as, as you were talking there, I was a Bible school student and I, I'm pretty sure if, if I wasn't, it was, it was shortly after But brother Jack Sanders was pastoring in Joplin, Missouri. And I was there in the church, and he was addressing his church, and he was talking about the discerning of spirits. Well, I guess one of the reasons that I took note of it, because in my young mind, and I might have even said something along these lines, I'm a little embarrassed now, (laughs) but I thought of the discerning of spirits Mm -hmm. as a gift that was basically for the leadership, they're the ones that are going to have to discern these things and deal with them. Yeah. Boy, he he challenged my thinking on that particular gift. I still remember what he said. He looked at his congregation and he said, "Not only do I need the discerning of spirits to deal with something." He said but you need the discerning of spirits, yeah. And you need it so that you can discern the same thing that I did, so you won't fight me on what I do. And I yeah. thought, wow, <laughs> that is right. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: <laughs> if I could, Brother Lloyd, you—you've mentioned in in answering and responding to these questions, you've you've mentioned this verse or this phrase. It comes up in more than one verse right here in First Corinthians. The idea of coveting earnestly the best gifts. Um, so okay. at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, covet earnestly the best gifts. Um, Correct. And then if you jump over to chapter 14, there's a desire for spiritual gifts. He adds, but rather that right. you may prophesy. Then at the end of chapter right. 14, again, this coveting to prophesy. And so there's a coveting, but going back to the chapter 12, that at the very end, that, that phrase, but covet earnestly, the best gifts. How do we, how should we understand that idea of coveting earnestly the best gifts? How, how, how do you, how do you explain that? Are there some gifts are they ranked different? How do you explain the
1: best gifts? Help us understand that. I think the best gift is the gift that's needed at the moment. Okay. Very good. Okay. If, if someone, if someone is sick, they don't necessarily need tongues and interpretation. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm sure a word of knowledge might help them or a word of wisdom might be appropriate, but if they're sick, we need a gift of healing. Right. Yeah. Or a gift of faith. Okay. Or the working of a miracle. And so I think the best gift is the one that's appropriate for the moment. Very good. Very good. So if we were to get, I guess a little bit more technical
0: in some of these and uh, we just got two or three of them that we might do this with. But if we were to get technical for somebody to be able to better identify uh, how these gifts should work or or something along those lines, um, for example, what, how would you tell someone to distinguish between the gift of faith and just a, a a having faith in general, because there's a there's an element of faith in order to get saved that we have. And so there's an element of faith in, in various different aspects of the Christian life. But then Paul seems to or yeah, Paul seems to make a distinction here between a gift of faith Correct. and then just general faith. So how would you understand
1: those? Well, faith is the big word mm. in Christianity. In fact, the body of truths that Christianity is is called the faith. yeah, And then we understand to every man is given a measure of faith. Incidentally, when it comes to the Holy ghost, faith is also a fruit of the spirit. Okay. I think the key is in verse seven of chapter 12 that I'll go to over and over again when I'm teaching on this subject. And that is the gift of faith is a manifestation of the spirit. All right. Fruit, fruit don't just pop out on a tree. Right, Fruit grows. The very word fruit puts in our mind an allegorical picture of development, Mm -hmm. of growing. But a gift is something that I didn't have, and you give it to me, and now I have it. Mm -hmm. And so there is a manifestation of the Spirit that instantaneously, by the power of the Holy Ghost, gives me special faith. the situation I'm in right now, compare it to the gift of tongues that comes as a manifestation of the Spirit or the interpretation of tongues. I don't know that language. I can't address this group in another language, but all of a sudden, because of the power of the Holy Ghost, I'm speaking a language that I've never learned, or I'm interpreting a message in another language and I don't even know what that language is, mm-hmm. but I have the interpretation for it. So that's how the gift of faith operates. It's it's one of those power gifts and I need special faith for the moment and God gives us a gift of faith. That's good.
0: I think I think that's important to kind of help when one is, is looking at the distinction between these or how how it should look, I guess, for, for the most part, to understand to how to distinguish and how to, how to identify it uh, in their own life. I think that's, I appreciate that clarification.
2: I've not, I've not got to sit through your entire class for the Lloyd I've, I've caught bits and pieces here and there, um, but I've never uh. sat through the whole thing. So there's, there are probably things that I've missed, but when you look at, you you just mentioned this idea of faith, explain expounding on that. And, and do you think that some of these gifts, so for instance, with tongues and interpretation, in in the same location, same general time frame, we've got multiple gifts in operation. Do you think that some of these, like faith, for instance, do you think it all often operates in conjunction with other gifts? I, I, I suppose what I might be getting at is, so suppose we deal with something like miracles or healings. Do you think that often there's a, uh, uh, um, maybe you have, you have several of these coming together at once as it were, uh, or is there always a sharp distinction?
1: Well, I do think there's an overlapping in the gifts, especially the gifts that are of the same category. You can look at it kind of like the fruits of the spirit. They come in clusters Well, it's the same thing with the gifts. It's like they're in clusters. And you mentioned, well, I mean, we obviously see how tongues and interpretation work together. And then closely related to them is the gift of prophecy. I think the power gifts, there's there's some overlapping there. Okay. I remember years ago asking Brother Beam, I was here preaching after I'd graduated. And I said, Brother Beam, I, I, I understand, you know, we've got the working of miracles, but there's the gift of healing. And I said, isn't every healing a miracle? What's the difference between the working of miracles and a healing, which is miraculous? Of course, he, he crinkled my brain there and, and caused me to think a little deeper. And he said, well, I have seen a miraculous provision. So sometimes the working of miracles has nothing to do with healing. Right. Okay. I think sometimes a healing that comes instantaneously and immediately would be classified as the working of a miracle. The very word healing implies a process. Okay. And I typically, when I explain that, go to the miracle of Hezekiah's healing. I know that was Old Testament. But Isaiah comes in. You're familiar with the story. He's been given a death sentence, and it's it's the prophet Isaiah that speaks it. It's not a doctor's diagnosis. Right. It's a word from God. Set your house in order. You're going to die. Right. And he prays, and Isaiah comes back and tells him that he's not going to die. God's going to add 15 years to his life. And I don't have the text right in front of me, so I'm giving the gist of it. But he basically calls for a lump of figs to be put on the spot and says, I think it's like in three days you'll go up to the house of the Lord. Well, I mean, why not why not be healed right now and go up yeah. to the house of the Lord? Okay. He's healed. Yeah. It's it's miraculous that he's healed, but it's a process of healing. Mm. And it took God to turn that around and make it go the opposite direction. So I think sometimes The gift of healing is just that. We were going towards death, and God stops it, turns it. It goes back the other way. It was a divine move. It wasn't because doctors might have been involved, but it wasn't because of their doing. It was because of God. And I I know I'm probably starting to ramble there, okay? That's all right. But then, again, like the gift of faith. I often go to the third chapter of Acts, for the gift of faith, and that's that's where that the lame man is healed, sitting outside there by uh, the gate, beautiful. And Peter takes a hold of his right hand, and he lifts him up immediately, or he lifts him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones receive strength. All right. Well, I, I use Peter's words, and that's that's one of the reasons I call it a gift of faith, and I'm scrambling here. I think it's the sixteenth verse here, where where Peter has said, Why are you looking on us as as through our own, you know, holiness this man was healed? That's that's not what happened here. Verse number twelve he said, When Peter saw it he answered unto the people, ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this or why ye look ye earnestly on us as though by our own power and holiness this man's been made to walk and he, he says down in verse 16 that um, and in his name and through faith in his name hath made this man strong and and you see and know yea the faith which is by him hath given this man perfect soundness in the presence of you all i think god gave peter a special faith to reach down and grab a hold of this man by the hand and jerk him up and say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Yeah, it's a miracle. Yeah. But through the testimony of of Peter's own words here, there's some special faith operating here yeah. that performs this miracle. So
0: you think you think that is an instance recorded in Scripture of him being exercised in the gift of faith? I
1: do. I, I okay. go to the third chapter of Acts. Yeah. And yes, it is a miracle, but I think you could also say it's a healing. Sure. But by but by the testimony of what Peter says when he explains it, he says through faith in his name, right. mm-hmm. he's talking about a special faith that has caused this man to be healed right here before their eyes, that the faith, which is by him, has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yeah. Yeah. So.
0: No, I think that's good. I think I, I, that would definitely make sense. Okay, so we, we were talking about some overlap, and uh, we, we touched on this briefly before um, before we began recording, but if you were to describe... You know, kind of to simplify. So we're distinguishing between some of these gifts. And as you, you mentioned, and we may, if you want to go into this, you're welcome to. If, if not, that's okay too. You mentioned briefly just a minute ago that these gifts are, fall under different categorizations. Correct. Um, and so some of them do have a tendency to overlap. And so I, uh, we were going to ask you this question. What is the difference between, how would you distinguish between, because they do have a tendency to overlap, as you said before we began, how would you distinguish for someone, the difference between prophecy and tongues and interpretation—how would you? Uh, well, lay that out? so
1: like I said earlier, within their categories, there there is overlapping mm-hmm. with with the degrees, uh, with with the with the gifts in the category. I often use the illustration of a many faceted gem. Okay. Okay, and it's a beautiful gem at a distance. You can look at it, but when you get closer, there's facets, and you turn it ever so slightly. And you see a different facet yeah. that, that you don't have to turn it a whole lot. But at any rate with tongues and interpretation and then the gift of prophecy, they're all utterance gifts, mm-hmm. but the gift of tongues, we're told uh, when I say the gift of tongues, I'm not talking about the initial sign evidence right. that every believer who receives the Holy Ghost speaks with other tongues as the spirit gives the utterance Yes, sir but but we find from the teaching of the bible this gift of tongues is when the spirit manifests himself and the direction changes okay okay paul talks about praising uh and praying with tongues and incidentally that's that's never condemned in fact, when Paul is putting some regulations on the gift of tongues as we call it, he he says that, you know, uh we we can pray and speak to ourselves. Is what he's saying here. You know, and and I'm I'm not quoting the verse. It's it's escaping my mind right now. I'm having one of those moments. Are uh, you talking about uh, I'm in chapter 14 is what I'm trying to to recall okay, here no right problem. now. But he says Says, you know, if, if there's no interpreter, he's let him, he said, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak unto himself and unto God. Well, you can't be utterly silent if you're speaking to yourself. Mm-hmm. So I'm drawing the, the distinction between speaking with tongues, which is in essence the same as the gift of tongues. Mm-hmm. We're operating by the power of the Holy Ghost, but the direction changes when we get that evidence of the baptism of the Holy ghost, we're speaking praises and prayer into God. But when there's the message in tongues, we've all been there in those Pentecostal services where someone's volume increases. And and that's like the sign that says, Hey, yeah, I'm no longer just speaking to God in the worship service with everybody else. Yeah. This is God manifesting the spirit and he's talking to somebody here. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the gift of tongues. well, I think there were regulations placed on that by Paul because evidently there was a problem in the Corinthian church. That whole 14th chapter is dealing with various disturbances that were going on during the worship services, and so he he puts some regulations on that. But the one thing we find out there is that the gift of tongues really doesn't edify the church unless it's coupled with the gift of interpretation. Okay, because nobody's going to be edified. So so the the theme that runs through that 14th chapter is whatever we do, mm-hmm. we want to do it for the edification of the church. Yeah. Okay, prophecy on the other hand, it, it, it doesn't have to have a, a, a gift of tongues precede it. Mm-hmm. There's something about the gift of tongues. There's something about tongue talking itself, Yeah. even in the Old Testament. Uh, The Bible talks about how it is a sign to unbelievers. Yeah. Uh, You you can go to the the scene there in the book of Daniel where the handwriting on the wall, it's in a language that nobody understands. Mm -hmm. God could have wrote it in a language where everybody understood, and I'm sure it would have been pretty shaking to see that hand do that. Yeah. But the mystery of the message was enhanced by the fact – That nobody could read it. It's an obvious language, but nobody could read it until this man of God comes in who understands dreams and visions, and he has an interpretation. So there's something about that tongues coupled with interpretation. It almost takes it to a level that would grab the attention even of an unbeliever. Yeah. Okay. Prophecy works more towards believers in the edification. So if we're operating in the gift of tongues, we need to have it coupled with interpretation. I may have muddied the waters there no. a little bit because I, I I went over several things, but your question was the overlap yeah. and the distinction. So I don't know if I covered that well. Enough yeah, you did.
0: You, you talked about how the, the two can be related and they can overlap, but that, in simplification, the in essence, the um, uh, prophecy does not have to be preceded by tongues, whereas interpretation does. So you, you covered that. So that would be the difference and and also, I mean, there was more to it than just that you said, uh, talking about the direction as well. Um, so you covered several things for sure.
1: I think sometimes with the gift of tongues, because it is the same in essence as speaking with tongues, when we get the Holy ghost, mm-hmm. I know in my own experience and from other things that I've seen in the 30 plus years I've been in ministry, I think sometimes that's one of the first gifts that people begin to operate in the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Is that gift of tongues. It's, it's not as big of a leap. They've already been filled with the Holy Ghost. So what changes is the direction. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes people, they, they make that transition from that over to the gift of tongues. And then it's interesting because what's kind of built into that gift is an admonition to seek the next gift, which would be the interpretation of tongues. Yeah, Because Paul tells us, if you're going to speak with other tongues, you don't need to do it if you're addressing the church. You don't need to do it unless there's an interpreter present, or you need to pray that you may interpret. Yeah. So I think there's something built into that. That, that, you know, could kind of, and I know in my own life, that's where I started was a message in tongues. And then I did, as the scripture said, prayed for an interpretation. Then I began to give interpretations. And from there, you know, I had faith to pray for more and begin to be operating in the gift of prophecy.
3: Yeah.
0: And see, that's, uh, that's a good a good point to make because that was actually something that I thought about bringing out and I had I had erased it, but I thought about bringing out, not that we don't see these other gifts operate in churches, but I've noticed personally myself that it seems like the most frequent one, if, it is, if I can put it that way, seems to be tongues and in interpretation that
1: operates more than the rest in my experience. Is that fair? I, I think it's fair. And, and the explanation that I would give for my observation is kind of what I already stated. Yeah it's easier to move from that arena where we've been yielding ourselves and speaking in tongues as the evidence of the baptism of the Holy ghost. Now we're going to change the direction and give a message to the church. That's, that's a, that's a big step, but in essence, it's what's already been going on in our life. We've been speaking with a tongue as the spirit gives the utterance. Yes, sir. I was going to ask you, and, and I don't want to
2: confuse. Okay. I want to go backwards to Acts 2. This, this is jumping backwards to where you've already been, Brother Lloyd. Okay. Um, okay. So you dealt with the idea of – you mentioned tongues as you were talking about tongues, interpretation, prophecy. And you mentioned how tongues, going back to Daniel, the mystery, there was an enhancing, as it were, of the mystery. And it just grabs the attention, arrests the attention of of those there that the were present um is it safe to say and and again I don't want to confuse things too much I realize Acts chapter 2 we don't have as they're speaking in other tongues they're not necessarily addressing people we don't have a gift of tongues no, and interpretation they were not. but is it safe to say that in that you see a little bit of an illustration of the fact that boy that that gets people's attention um Correct. It, and 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 then yes. what follows afterward is is uh, as as Peter begins to preach i mean the tongues grip their attention and and they don't know how to describe it i mean they're some of them are well they must be drunk you know but now that the attention is grabbed peter under the anointing of the holy ghost begins to preach to them and and conviction grips their heart so is that even though it's not Absolutely. gift of
1: tongues it's it's a picture of how that can grab their attention, correct? And and that was unbelievers. Right. And tongues are are a sign for the unbelievers, and that's what happened. And, and you know, I've known instances of where it happened in the modern world. I, I told the class just in the last hour where Brother Clifton Gallagher was on the airplane when they were going to the Holy Land, and Brother uh, Greg Bond uh, got or Jeff, Brother Jeff Bond got sick. And so they began to pray for him, you know, 30,000 feet flying across the Atlantic. Brother Clifton started speaking with tongues, praying for him like he was in one of our holiness churches. And lo and behold, after things settled, one of the stewardesses uh, on the airline there, one of the flight attendants, came up to Brother Gallagher, Brother Clifton, And ask him where he learned, and I forget what the language was, but it was her native language. I think it
0: was Arabic. Yeah, Yeah. whatever
1: it was. And at any rate, he's like, well, ma'am, I don't know that. Oh, yes, you do. And she told him what he was saying (laughs) in that language. I've had that happen to me a time or two. It happened to me in Indiana. There was a college student that came one night. We were having church there at the Glorious Church of God where Brother Carlos Burdine was the pastor at the time. And I was evangelizing. We were at home. And we were having a Pentecostal service and, you know, the Spirit of God was moving and I was on the platform. I'd been singing. We were worshiping God and I was speaking in tongues. She met us at the back door. I've never seen her before that and never seen her since. But she met us at the back door. And uh, I guess I was standing close to a microphone and she could overhear. And uh, she began to tell us, you know, the, the language and stuff. She recognized it. Wow. And I, I've had it happen at other times too. So yeah. That, that That is an example of how tongues is assigned to an unbeliever. Okay, okay. Can you do one more thing? I know this steps backwards, and probably
2: most of our audience doesn't necessarily need this clarification, but I think we've mentioned two or three times the categories of the spirit, gifts of the Spirit and overlap within the categories. Would you just real quickly, a short answer what do we mean by the categories? What are the
1: different categories? Okay, so the categories are the utterance gifts, the ones we've been talking about, which tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Those are divine utterances. And then there are the knowledge gifts. Okay, that's a category. And in that category is the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and the discerning of spirits. We we know and have knowledge, or wisdom by divine power. And then there are what we call the power gifts, which are the working of miracles, the gift of faith, as I explained a little bit earlier, and uh, the gifts of healing. Okay. So those are the categories in a nutshell. Thank you.
3: Uh,
0: So we may not dive in necessarily to dissecting all these. There is one, though, that I do uh, one more distinction, and then we'll move on to the last couple of questions, uh, for sake of time, but what, how would you describe the difference between these two gifts, a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge? How would you distinguish between those two?
1: Well, okay. So a word of is used in both of them. Mm -hmm. God gives us not all of his knowledge, but a word of knowledge, a portion of it. It's the same thing with wisdom. So Mm -hmm. what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Well, knowledge is information. Mm. Wisdom is how to use the information. Okay, so I go to the Bible. A word of knowledge would be Ananias standing before Simon Peter, who looks at him as he lays this offering down, and all of a sudden Peter has knowledge that nobody else had. And he says, why did Satan fill your heart? Why did you agree to sell it for such a price and only give this much? So that's knowledge. Yeah. A word of wisdom, I think we can find in Acts chapter six or Acts chapter 15. When there's there's plenty of knowledge on the table, but they don't know what to do. In Acts chapter six, we've got these widows that are being neglected. There's this strife that's beginning to develop in the church. I believe a word of wisdom operates there and that's what causes the apostles to say search you out seven good men full of the holy ghost that we may appoint them over this matter and that's where the office of deacons is established it was wisdom it was a word of wisdom a special portion of god's wisdom that solved that problem yeah and these parties that were in strife, they all go away satisfied. That really takes wisdom from God. Yeah. Same thing in Acts chapter 15. With uh, And I think we have two illustrations in Acts chapter 15. I think we have a positive and a negative illustration, okay? So I'll explain. In Acts chapter 15, we've got the issue with circumcision and Gentiles. And it's James who gets a word of wisdom on how to handle that issue. Mm-hmm. with Gentiles that are being saved, and should they be circumcised? And he handles that. The sad thing about Acts chapter 15 is at the end of it is where we have that conflict with Paul and Barnabas. Yeah. And I've often thought and wondered, man, here we have a word of wisdom that settles this crisis in the beginning of the chapter. I wonder what a word of wisdom would have done here. At the end, you know, don't have to be in a public setting or in a meeting. Right. I think a word of wisdom can help to settle conflicts. Yeah. I really do. And when I'm going into a situation where I have to talk to somebody and it can be tense, I pray for a word of wisdom. Yeah. I pray for a word of wisdom often, even before I preach. But what if what if one of those men would have said something like this? You know what? You know what, Barnabas? Really? The work has gotten so large. Why don't we do this? Why don't you and John Mark, I I, th- I think you've probably got a point there. Why don't you and John Mark go to Cyprus and the work has got so big. Why don't I pick another one of these zealous young men and we'll go back up north into the churches that we established up there. And there's no reason why we can't have two fronts on this missionary endeavor that has started here at Antioch. That's what happened anyways. Yeah. Yeah. We could have had that good result without all of the strife. I think a word of wisdom would would have been a very profitable gift to operate in that setting.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's very helpful. That's good.
1: Are there any? And, and
2: I know we have uh, uh, we've we've covered a lot of territory. Are there any places, particular passages, for somebody? Whether it's a young preacher, whether it's just a a believer who says, I'm hungry to be used more, and I want to know more, and I want to covet these best gifts. Are there particular places in Scripture that you would say, dig into this? I know the whole of Scripture, but are there particular places especially that you would say are important for this topic? Uh, And are there any, any resources, Brother Lloyd, that you found helpful um, and you've given us advice on coveting earnestly and that kind of stuff. But are there any particular other resources uh, that you would say, this has been especially helpful for me in, in, in digging in if, if someone wants to study more?
1: Well, I would start with First Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, mm. okay? So in, in chapter 12, we've got the gifts listed, and Paul is telling them to get a desire for those gifts. Okay, in chapter 13, we have the motive that these gifts should operate in. Right after Paul says, covet earnestly the best gifts, he says, yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Yeah. He begins to describe what sounds like some of these gifts, speaking with the tongues of men and angels and And having the gift of prophecy and understanding mysteries and knowledge and moving mountains and all this different stuff. If I, if I've got all this and I don't have charity, okay, it doesn't profit anything. So I think we have the motive in that chapter. And that is these gifts are not about making me look big or important. Yeah. These gifts are about edifying the body of Christ. So I have a desire. For them for the glory of God. I want to see the body of Christ yes. edified. And then chapter 14, I think, gives gives us, well, commandments. Yeah. On on the gifts. So I think those are very important chapters. If you're going to dig into this subject, you got to dig into those chapters. Very good. Beyond that, I would take that list of gifts in the 12th chapter and I would go through the book of Acts and try to identify these gifts operating in the book of acts that's what i've done very good that's why as you ask me these questions i go to the bible sure and try to show an illustration of these gifts operating from the word of god which we we know we can trust sure sure beyond that you know i i i some of the books that i've used um uh, the spirit himself by ralph riggs Donald G has written some good stuff on the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, Thomas Holcroft, our uh, textbook here at Free Gospel Bible Institute, and Stanley Horton; those are those are some good authors sure. that come to my mind. You know, uh, at the top of my mind. But you can't find a better book than the Bible that's on the right. subject. And, yeah. I, and I don't mean to be cliche. No, yeah, we. I yeah. mean that. That's You're really right. where I try to drive these students. I want them to be able to identify these gifts operating in the word of God. And yeah. I think you can from the book of Acts. Yeah. Those
0: other things are just to be a supplement, but that's the main source there. Correct. Right. Yeah. So, um, so we'll ask, I'll ask you this one more. And then, cause I think this one is kind of more practical. Hopefully it'll, it'll, I'll, I'll be able to articulate it well. And we, we won't worry about this last one here necessarily, but um, so this would be more along the lines of some practical advice for maybe some, older ministers or youth leaders to their, to the younger. Uh, and we, we, we touched on that a, a little bit, but how would you strike the balance uh, when you're trying to encourage a young person, for example, in being used in the spiritual gifts? Um, we don't want to allow zeal to run wild unchecked for sure. Cause that can lead to, you know, just outright right. wild stuff. But at the same time, I don't. I don't know that we need to produce. It would be produce. It would be wise or healthy to produce a fear. We need to have reverence, but like a fear to the point where they're just afraid to yield themselves to the spirit because they're always afraid that I'm going to do this wrong or I'm going to do that wrong necessarily. And in fact, Thomas Holdcroft. I looked this up and I didn't have. I should have written the page down, but I didn't. But in the textbook that you use there in class. He says that since humans are involved in manifesting these spiritual gifts and humans are fallible, the limitations and idiosyncrasies of individuals are to be expected. And he said, he goes on to say that if a believer uses a spiritual gift in an unscriptural manner, and I'm assuming he's not, he's not talking about somebody that's just being outright rebellious and mishandling, but he's talking about maybe a young person that has a lot of zeal that doesn't necessarily approach it right. They're, they're not supposed so much to be rebuked as they are instructed in how to properly handle it so how I guess the main question is how would you balance between driving in the the respect that a young person should have toward these gifts and, and that they're not something to be played around with and toyed with but at the same time not making them so fearful of them that
1: they're afraid to yield themselves to the spirit and allow him to use them in them desire motive and governance by the word of God. Those are the things that chapter 12, 13, and 14 emphasize. So let's let's transfer some of the things you said to the concept of people receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You have a lot of fear there that people have to overcome. Sure. Okay. You have misunderstandings that people have to overcome. You have sometimes zeal that's not according to knowledge (laughs) that people have to overcome. Yeah. But the, the thing that helps them overcome a lot of those things is a desire. Yeah. They get so hungry for it that they step into that. That's good. Well, once they, once they step into that realm now, now we've got chapter 13 and chapter 14. Okay, so chapter 13 begins to talk to us about motive. Okay, this is not about me. Right. I'm I'm the gifted person yeah. that everybody needs to be at church so we can have church. No, it's about motive. What's my motive here? My motive is for edification. Wow. That's my motive is love. Charity. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and I don't have charity, it's nothing. Right. Don't no matter how gifted I am, if I can move mountains, yeah. if I don't have this motive. Okay. So that's the next thing. And then and then ultimately there are commandments of God. Paul said after the 14th chapter where he gives those rules for prophecy and tongues and interpretation, he said, if any man thinks of himself as spiritual, let him know that these are the commandments yeah. of God. So those are the guidances that I would give them. If a young person is zealous, we we want zeal.
3: Yeah. For okay.
1: Sure. But zeal has to be tempered and guided by knowledge and love. Yes. And I think that's what you have in those three chapters. That's good. I like that. Amen.
2: Brother Hope, did you have anything you want to add? I I would just like to say two things. Um and before I say the two things, thank you, Brother Lloyd, for coming on and Oh,
1: I've enjoyed it. Thank you for having me.
2: Yeah, thank you. But the two things I want to throw out here before I turn it back to you in the studio, Brother Jellison. Number one, when it comes to studying, so on this topic, we start with 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, But when it comes to studying any part of God's word, even though there is the learning aspect, and and I want to learn more and I want to understand more, and, and that's important but i also want to read this word of god with the desire for more of him this this yeah. book it's god's revelation of himself to us and if somehow i approach this book and i walk away with from it from an encounter with this book without having had an encounter with god there's something missing in the way i'm reading it and and i've got to come to this word and and when I come to First Corinthians twelve, thirteen and fourteen, since we're on this topic, I, I want our listeners as we maybe this has created a hunger in them, I hope it has, an, an interest in them. But when we go to these chapters, let's let's read it with with a hunger to have an encounter with God, have him move in us, move through us, have his way in the church. And the second thing I want to leave them with is this, and I know we don't throw this plug out there all the time, but I think, Brother Jellison, and you can give them the contact info, but I think we still have on Free Gospels' website, I think there's still the ability for people that want to sign up. There's a course they can take if, if, if this stuff yeah. is helpful. The entire pneumatology course is actually offered online on at free Gospel Bible Institute site and you can you can you can sign up for it uh, and take the entire course and and so some of the some of the little points little tidbits that we've gotten from Brother Lloyd in this discussion some of it comes out of an hour or two lecture from his class there. Yeah. He teaches I think it's almost 45 hours worth. Uh, but there's access to the entire thing. Some have already done that, but if this is something that's been helpful and created a desire in you and you want to go further, it may be that that would be something you would be interested in.
0: Yeah, so I actually, thank you for doing that. I was actually going to mention that myself. Um, If you wish this conversation would have went longer, uh, I hope you did, Uh, You can actually take the course where Brother Lloyd covers all of this that we talked about in greater detail, plus much, much more. And two, and maybe this maybe I shouldn't say this, but if if this is wrong, I'll edit it out and Brother Lloyd can correct me. But I've had people ask us in the past if if they sign up for it, are they required to take the tests and do all the assignments and all that? Um, We encourage you to, but we don't necessarily require it. If you just want access to the videos, that's perfectly fine too. Um, I'll try to, in the show notes uh, uh, on this episode, I'll try to leave a link down there. Uh, But just to tell you, if you go to fgbi.org, you click on prospective student and you go to, um, you go to, I think it's, I think it's fast track. I think it is. Um, they're, they're listed there. We have two classes listed there, but pneumatology is one of those. And I would encourage anybody that is, is hungry for a better understanding of the Holy ghost to take that it's, it's extremely informative, very well, very well done by brother Lloyd. And, and, uh, I think it would be very beneficial to you. Um, so if that's something that you are interested in, I will put the, uh, I will put the uh, link down there so you can, you can go to that. Uh, I believe the cost of the course is a hundred dollars. So if you consider that per credit hour, you know, it's a three credit hour course we offer. If you consider that at at most, uh, you know, uh, schools of higher education, that is a pretty cheap so, yeah. <laughs> by far uh, so if you're interested I will, I will put that link down there and we encourage you to take it please do um, but anyway thank you so much for listening today Brother Lloyd thank you again oh
1: thanks for letting me do it
0: for coming on and uh, we hope that you enjoyed this if you would like to donate to the podcast you can do that by clicking on the description of this episode and following the link down there if you would like to contact us about questions or anything like that that you would like to hear us answer or talk about you can email us at Crossroads at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.